touchdown. Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs, and I promise you, this will be the last uh, game day preview podcast we have this season, Nick Jacobs. Um, because there are no more games after this one. It's the Super Bowl. Uh, it's the Chiefs. It's the Eagles. Um, and and this is a lot like, I mean, I got to be honest, this is a lot like the Cincinnati game. Normally, I have a really good feel like, oh, I, I think I know who the Chiefs are. I think I know how the game's going to go. I think I know, you know, this team's strength versus this team's weaknesses, whatever, whatever. Uh, I, I honestly, like, the, the Bengals game, I felt like was a coin flip. I didn't really feel like I have had a good feel for that one. Um, and I'm kind of in that territory again. Um, how do you see this game? I mean, do you expect this to be a close one or do you see one team or the other having a decided advantage? Um, I think it's going to come down to a couple of key factors we'll end up getting into throughout this podcast. I think those are going to those are going to decide either how close it's going to be or if it's going to be a blowout. Um, and there's there's three focal points that I kind of have that. We'll get into here in a little bit, and I th- I think those are going to be the determination of like, hey, you know, two out of three happen here, this happens there, and it it goes a couple different ways. So I, I think that the uh, to give a little tease to it, Eagles defensive lines, one of them, <laughs> uh, yeah. the Eagles read options, another big part of it, and then the final part of it's going to be Jalen Hurts' shoulder and how that is able to do versus Mahomes' ankle and how that does. So I think those are kind of the three key points that are going to determine if this is close, if it's a blowout either way. Because if you look at historical history, um, or if you look at historical, and it was redundant, um, if you look at history, <laughs> um, let's say historical stats. From a historical um, nature. Yeah, we all have our struggles, man. <laughs> um, but now, like, if you look at the history, like a number one offense versus a number one defense, the number one defense blows out the number one offense and Eagles had the number one defense. She's had the number one offense. So, I mean, history says that they're going to do it, um, that the Eagles should blow them out based on previous Super Bowls. But then when you go look through the Eagles schedule and you look through this and that the quarterbacks they faced and you're like, well, they're not like the, they're not like the Seattle Seahawks that did it last time or, you know, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going against the, the Raiders. If I remember correctly, I think that was the other time, but um, you know, it's that there's, I don't know. It'll be intriguing. I mean, I, I, again, still don't want to bet against Patrick Holmes and Andy Reed and Steve Spagnuolo when, when the games matter. Yeah, we'll get in and we'll certainly get into that. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, um, the Mahomes factor plays in there. I do want, okay. I want to ask though, um, you can ask, I, feel like, I don't know if I, I'll answer it. No, I feel like there's a couple. I feel like there's a couple of storylines that have been a little bit underplayed this week. Like uh, Donna Kelsey has been everywhere. God love her. Um, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the brothers matchup between Travis Kelsey, uh, who is a chief's tight end. And I don't know if you're aware, but his older brother, Jason Kelsey actually plays center for the Eagles, Nick. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody's brought this up yet, but it's true. There will be brothers on opposite sidelines for this game. Um, um, I'm, I just, I, I feel like, uh, you know, more people should be talking about this. Uh, and of course I kid, cause that's about all that anybody has talked about. I wonder in your mind though, cause I know how much reverence you have for Andy Reed. Do you consider this the Reed bowl or the Kelsey bowl? Cause obviously this is Andy Reed 
going against an Eagles franchise that he resurrected, you know, I mean, um, that, that, that team had bottomed out in the first few years under Jeff Lurie and, and Andy Reed breathed life back into Philadelphia Eagles football, could not quite get them over the hump. Um, and ultimately, you know, uh, his, he was let go and, and look the, to the chief's benefit, you know, Clark Hunt, um, wisely stepped in and said, Oh, we'll take Andy Reed. <laughs> and it's worked out in the last decade here in Kansas city. But, um, I, I still think that, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, whether Andy will say it publicly or not. And obviously he's not the kind of guy who likes to put gasoline on a fire and, you know, he doesn't like it when his players do it either, but I got to feel like that, that there's a fire burning inside him that he doesn't want, to, he doesn't want to lose to anybody in a position like this, but he sure as heck does not want to lose to Philadelphia in this position, man. So in your mind, is this the Reed bowl or the Kelsey bowl? I think there's layers to it. I mean, the Kelsey brothers are going to be a fun historical fact for the rest so of the, the time. Onion, so it's the onion bowl. <laughs> They're going to be what, whatever you need, <laughs> whatever feels right in your heart, man, go with it. Um, no, I, like I, the Kelsey, the Kelsey brothers is always going to be a fun historical fact for Super Bowl or for trivial pursuit night or whatever people do these days at trivia night at the bar or whatever it may end up being. Um, Game night at the Palmer household. Yes. <laughs> I haven't been to one of those because there's no cracked chicken chili there. So you're welcome. Um, I'll let, I'll let you know next time. Well, there better be cracked chicken chili there. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. We'll, she, she, my wife will meet your demands. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. It's just, I think she's admitted multiple times. She can't remember how she made it. So this has been hyped up in my head for years. I don't even care if it's 90 degrees outside. If there's cracked chicken chili there, you know, right. well, I'll make do. <laughs> um, but now, uh, so that that's part of it. Then the Andy Reid aspect of it. Like you said, he's gonna do he's gonna do a fantastic job, not not trying to play it up or show what it really probably means to him. And there's a lot of guys on the on the staff as well that came with him from Philly, and they know as well what it means to him. Whether you know Eric Bieniemy from his time there, Matt Nagy from his time there, Steve Spagnuolo from his time there, Tom Melvin, the tight ends coach, you know Greg Lewis, who was a player. And, you know, and I, I could go on and on with the list, like Rick Burkholder and Barry Rubin, the strength coach. Oh, and don't forget the front office. You got Brett Veach and, and guys like that. So Right. And like I said, I could go on and on. I was just trying not to keep going with the list. <laughs> but then I was going to get to the whole thing here pretty soon anyways. I think um, Mark Donovan from the, the president yes. even came from the Eagles. Yes, so. he came from the Eagles, came to Kansas City, and then he was uh, he didn't get enough credit for helping with the Andy Reid thing like, like he should. Um, yeah. But – all that combined, that's another layer to it. And I think they know what Andy went through in Philadelphia, understands the criticism that he got, some a lot of the arrows he took over the years. And in some ways, in all honesty, this is this is a big reason I'm hoping for it. And this is where the third layer comes in it, to it for me. And this is where the real core principle of it is, in my opinion, is this is Andy proving to Philadelphia once and for all, how good of a coach he is and how much they should have appreciated him when they had the opportunity and to do so for him to take him to that many conference championships, do that type of stuff. He didn't have a Patrick Mahomes type of quarterback. Then he does. He has Patrick Mahomes now. So I think, I think there's some plays that 
hey, if Andy's got them stored away, some of those sneaky plays, like this is this is it, man. This is your chance. And and the other part of it is this is a big legacy game for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Because if they win this one, that's three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins in three years, five AFC conference championships, three of them, uh, three of them that they won, you can't touch them anymore. Will there be arguments media-wise? That oh well, Patrick well, Joe Burrow is better. Than this Joe Burrow is better than that. They're just doing it to fill time. From that right. day forward, if they win the Super Bowl on Sunday, people have to actually shut their mouths about what greatness is with those two guys. And if they are aren't Hall of Famers, that helps Chris Jones with his legacy. That helps Travis Kelsey with his legacy. That helps punch a lot of tickets potentially to the Hall of Fame. So that's what's on the line this Sunday. Not just winning a Super Bowl, but punching some legacy tickets from here till till they till each one of those individuals kind of parts ways. And for Steve Spagnolo, how huge would that be for Steve Spagnolo? Be this fourth Super Bowl win as a defensive coordinator. Like you know, Bill Belichick had a couple with the Giants. Spagnolo had a couple with the Giants, and then he would have two with the Chiefs. Two different franchises, four titles as a defensive coordinator. And then so that you know, for him, that's huge. So, I mean, there's just, like I said, there's so, there's so much to it, but like, this is the one that kind of just locks it in for Andy Reid once and for all where he's at in the Mount Rushmore of NFL head coaches. Cause I got a full screen that I'm going to end up putting up since in a, since true NFL free agency began in 1993, Andy's going to end up being potentially, if he wins, he will be the fourth coach during that era to actually win multiple Super Bowls. That's how hard it is in the free agency era. And if Andy Reid's able to do that in the span that he does, him and Bill Belichick are in some very rare air at that point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Belichick, you know, is, is in his own category at this point um, after what he did with Tom Brady. But that second he, championship. He worked with Tom Brady. <laughs> right. But that second championship really separates um, quarterbacks. It separates coaches. Right. It was important for Andy to get his – you know, to get that Super Bowl title as a head coach on his ledger so that he, uh, you know, could cement his Hall of Fame status a few years ago. Um, you know, he's he's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. Um, you know, like you said, the question will be like, you know, how high up that list does he push? I mean, he, he's he's got the career longevity records and things like that. He's got the respect of his peers. He's He's got the, the coaching tree. You know, I mean, you think about Doug Peterson got Philadelphia, their title, he, you know, uh, you talk about Spagnuolo and other guys who, you know, or J- John Harbaugh, guys like that, who've gone on to win Super Bowls after, uh, you know, learning under Andy Reid, things like that. All that, you know, only gets enhanced. Um, but I also think that this is a, you know, when you think about what the chiefs off season look like, you know, making the decision to, to move away from Tyreek Hill and, and kind of pivot. Uh, and you really got to see what the front office strategy and game plan was as they move into the meat of this, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes contract, like how are they going to navigate this time going forward? Right. Uh, and, and they didn't move a bunch of money around, you know, I mean, they ate, they ate Patrick's 40 million, 50 million, whatever it was this year. Um, you know, kept it on the books and they've still proven that they can surround him with enough talent to go out and be in a position to win championships. I think it speaks volumes to the player development of this uh, coaching staff, uh, to the player and talent identification of this front office. But more than anything, I think it speaks to the brilliance of 
uh, Patrick Levon Mahomes the second, <laughs> because I, you know, I, I, I think that he is a generational quarterback. He is a unicorn. And like you said, there, there'll be no denying it. I mean, what he's done in his first five years as a starter, if he wins this super bowl will essentially be unmatched. Um, you know, and, and I don't, and I, I don't know. I don't know that you're going to see anything, anything. I mean, already in his five years as a starter, the absolute worst season he's ever had came down to losing to Tom Brady and the Patriots dynasty in overtime because D Ford lined up offsides. Um, you know, or, or maybe, you know, last year when they, when they blew the 21, three lead and lost in overtime, but either way that that's the, that's the floor that he has set for himself as a starter, which is just absolutely insane. Um, and if he wins a second title, I mean, he'll have already matched Peyton Manning, you know, and guys like that. I mean, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, I mean, other hall of fame quarterbacks. I mean, you, if he wins, you could make an argument that Patrick Mahomes is a hall of fame quarterback. Sunday, February, you know, after six seasons in the NFL, um, which is not an easy task. And then my other question for you off that and for people listening right now is, of the active quarterbacks in the league right now, how many of them have multiple Lombardis? I don't, th- I don't think any do now that Tom Brady's gone. Yeah. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm pretty sure Brady is the last of them, last of that, uh, of that era. So, like, Mahomes kind of, I think, sets the new bar at that point in oh, terms yeah. of the quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls. Yeah, like he uh, yeah. the new bar. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you look at everybody wants there to be like this rivalry with him and, and Justin Herbert. Herbert hasn't even won a playoff game in three years as a starter. Um, you know, he's only taken him to the playoffs once in three years as a starter. Um, you know, and obviously look that, yeah, there, there's other factors at play there, but uh, what, what Patrick Mahomes done is incredible. And, and, and I don't want the significance of this moment to be lost for another reason. The fact that he and Jalen Hurts are the first, it marked the first time that you've got two black starting quarterbacks opposing each other in a Super Bowl is a watershed moment for the NFL. When you think about what guys like Warren Moon went through in, in you know late seventies, early eighties, and, and what just the black quarterback in general has has gone through in this league, um, to be in a position where I I don't think that you know and and. Uh, people can dissect this however they want. I I don't know that people look at Patrick Mahomes and Jalen hurts and, and their first thought anymore is, Oh, that's a black quarterback. I think that guys like Patrick Mahomes, because of the foundation that was laid by, you know, by the Doug Williams and the Randall Cunningham's and the Donovan McNabb's of the world, um, you know, are now able to just be an elite quarterback in the league. Um, in a way that previous generations didn't have the opportunity to. And, and I loved what Patrick Mahomes had to say about him being aware that the next kid out there, I mean, I know I, when I'm playing with my kid out, you know, when we're passing the football around out in the field across the street from my house, like I'll make a ridiculous throw, like running, you know, or something. And I'll, and I'll yell, Patty Mahomes as I let it go, you know, and he's very aware that there are kids today that emulate him just like he, there were there, he just like he did. Right. Um, and, and that, you know, that he's, that he's a torchbearer for that. Um, uh, and it's, and I mean, look at the fact that it took 57 years, um, of Super Bowls before, 
uh, we had a matchup like this, um, you know, shouldn't be lost uh, because it's a significant moment culturally, um, you know, in addition, um, you know, so congrats to Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes for making history no matter what happens on Sunday, um, you know, but you had touched on something about Steve Spagnuolo and he, he's got three Super Bowls to his title. Of course, one of them was dethroning the 17 and 0 uh, Patriots, right? Like, I mean, they were or, or what, 18 and 0 Patriots um, when they were trying to, trying to, you know, join the Miami Dolphins as the only team to go undefeated through an entire NFL season. Um, and Steve Spagnuolo cooked up a game plan and beat him. And, and I just wanted, what is your thought on the idea of playoff spags? Um, you know, because when I look back at the AFC championship game, you know, like I said off the top, I, I felt like that was a coin flip game, right? Uh, and I know there's a lot of other people. I, I, I talked to Ben Baby with ESPN, who I knew from our days on the SEC beat together. He was convinced that Cincinnati was going to run the Chiefs defense in the AFC championship game, and it didn't happen. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that Chris Jones is a, is a game wrecker. But it also had a lot to do with an, a really smart scheme that Steve Spagnuolo put in place that caused Joe Burrow to hesitate, that confused Joe Burrow and left him a little befuddled in that game. And then when they were able to get some pressure on him, you know, uh, Burrow had a, just frankly a terrible game there. Is there something to playoff spags? And do you, who's your money on playoff spags or Jalen Hurts, you know, who's a still young quarterback who's never been on a stage like this in his career going against the wily old vet defensive coordinator who obviously has been and has shown what he can do in this moment before. My, my thing is Steve Spagnuolo was able to do it twice with the giants against, against Brady. So like, right. I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Jalen hurts, but you know, he, he just doesn't have that same cachet yet as Tom Brady did walking in <laughs> right. both right. of those the, Super Bowls. I, I don't think it's disrespectful to say Jalen Hurts still has more work to do before he stacks his resume against Tom Brady's. Right, like, but just... I, but I know people people want to take everything a certain way as disrespect every time, but when it's sometimes it's just the reality, and like that doesn't mean Jalen Hurts can't be a good quarterback. That means he's not going to be a great quarterback. It just means he hasn't been through enough Super Bowl experiences, enough media days, enough of those you know, NFC conference championship games and those high stake moments. He just, this is his first run at that uh, truly at that versus Mahomes. Who's that's all Mahomes knows in postseason NFL history for himself. And Steve Spagnuolo has, has been on those mountaintops. You know, this is going to be no time number four at this point. So look, Steve Spagnuolo, I mean, I think he wants to have a certain legacy too, as well. And like this is another one of those one of those legacy games where Steve Spagnuolo can put his stamp on something yet again and be able to do it against the former franchise of his. Yeah, no, I mean he's got he'll he'll have an interesting case. I mean there aren't a lot of assistant coaches that get uh, into the Hall of Fame, but he'll have an interesting case if he's got four Super Bowls on his ledger. Um, especially if you, if you did drill down, um, you know, into like who he did it against the, 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 the time, the place, the circumstance, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and playoff Frank is a real thing too. He's shown up in these playoffs, these last couple of games. Um, so I, let's start there. 
with with this defense, since we're already talking about Spagnolo and, and guys like that. I, look, I, the defensive line um, played out of their minds, but we all know that that Bengals uh, offensive line was beat up. When you look at this Eagles offensive line, is it as good as any offensive line the Chiefs have faced so far this year? Um, I'm not. I'll definitely put it in the top three. I don't definitively know where it is or isn't at because so much of what that scheme is about is based off that read option, and that causes a lot of hesitation for a lot of defenses and creates a lot of doubt. I'm not going to say that they're not athletic and that they're that, you know, that what they have collectively isn't a really good offensive line. So I'll definitely say hundred percent for sure. They're in the top three and they're a better offensive line than Kansas city is all across, you know, the five, the five positions. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, man, I don't know definitively what it, what it will or, won't be. It's it's a matter of how Steve Spagnuolo can can get after him. So what's okay? One of the things we talked about was you've got. Well, okay. Let's start with the read option because I think the one thing that the Chiefs do have going for them is they've got a middle linebacker who is very very good at reading his keys and and dissecting plays and making plays. Do you think this is a good matchup? for Nick Bolton. And you may have to go back to his Mizzou tape to see him facing offenses like this, but that was what he was great at at Mizzou was being able to diagnose plays and fire downhill, um, you know, against college run schemes, things like that. Um, do you think this is a, this matchup sets up well for a guy like Nick Bolton against the run? I, I think the key more so is going to be the defensive ends. What does Frank Clark do? What does Mike Dana do? What does Carlos Dunlap do? What does George Karloftis do? What do they make them? How do they make them attack? How do they make the linebackers attack from a scheme perspective? Because you know Hertz and and Hertz is reading off the ends on each side on every play. But the Eagles throw in so many wrinkles with it to where even if you're seeing the keys that you are, sometimes they're doing them to throw you off because they're actually going the opposite way. And what I mean by that is they, they have like, they have multiple counter runs out of, out of one of it. And then they have a quarterback draw out of that counter that Jalen ends up keeping instead of running the counter, you know, you'll see the backside guard and tackle pull and they may pull, but then, you know, they, <laughs> they throw a little okie doke in there and like, you know, the linebacker like Bolton or somebody else would be flowing and, and they're in the wrong spot because Hertz ended up keeping it off that counter. And that actually ends up, you know, maybe being his play. And there's times where you'll see a tight end or the running back go in motion. And you think they're going to do the read option. And the running back's the lead blocker for Hertz around the corner. So, I mean, they like, there's, there's so many variations that are run. And, and for people that are kind of wondering what they're like, they're, a, they're like a, from a run perspective, they're a much faster version of the Baltimore Ravens scheme for what people have seen. The running backs are lightning quick. And that's what makes that scheme go between Hertz's athletic ability and his, and his quickness combined with what the running backs are. That's what makes so much of their offense go. And then they play action out of that where they may throw it down the seam or Hertz may look like he's going to run. And then he does a jump pass to, to Goddard or, you know, when he sees single high, he wants to chuck it down the field to AJ Brown or to Devonte Smith. And, you know, there's, there's, there's variations of what they do 
And it just all kind of blends and flows together, but all of it revolves around the read option being able to work. Yeah, and that's why you're going to have to, you know, it's going to be one of those games where I'm not sure that pressure on the quarterback and sacks is the way to measure this game because we've seen games like this before, right, where discipline in the in your rush lanes, not giving up, you know, openings in the middle where Jalen Hurts can take advantage of his legs, setting a strong edge like you talked about with the ends may be more important than actually like getting Jalen Hurts on the ground uh, in this game. I mean, I mean, obviously against a guy like Joe Burrow, you want to hit him. You want to hit him early. You want to hit him often. You want to get him on the ground as much as you can. And if you can do that with Jalen Hurts, sure. But you got, you can't let him, you got to try to keep him stuck up in that pocket as much as you can. Cause I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to do as much damage from the pocket as he's going to do. If you let him get outside with his legs, um, uh, you know, the other, and this brings me to the other point that the, uh, the second kind of underplayed storyline, people keep talking about Mahomes' ankle, uh, you know, after seeing what he did in uh, the AFC championship game and knowing that he had a, you know, an extra week of rest coming into this one, I'm, I'm not super concerned about, about Patrick Mahomes' health. I don't, have we seen Jalen hurts really test that injured shoulder since he came back? Is that maybe more of a sneaky issue the Jalen Hurts shoulder than the Patrick Mahomes ankle, even though one's gotten more attention than the other. That's hot. <laughs> when I tweet stuff out, I don't tweet it by accident. <laughs> people, people seem to think that whenever I tweet some stuff out that I'm just flying blind around here, clueless about it. And I just happen to randomly stumble upon something. <laughs> there may be times I'm putting stuff out there to kind of get people to start thinking about it before they end up seeing what may end up happening on one of the Sunday games. So when I right, put, you can, just so you know, you can follow him at Jacob seventy one on Twitter. <laughs> I think most of the people listening already do, <laughs> but, but that's very kind of you. Um, no, but like, I showed his passing charts for a reason, and and I've gotten a lot of pushback from Eagles fans on Twitter, which I knew I would, that are like, well, they're so dominant in the run, they don't they don't have to they didn't have to do X Y and Z, and I'm like, no. You're right, they were, but there was a reason they needed to be because that shoulder, I don't, I'm telling you, the completion percentage has gone down in the throws that he does make and throwing past 15 yards right now, it's not working out well. So, I mean, and it wouldn't stun me if at the end of the year we hear more about what his shoulder injury actually is and that it's not as healed up as people think that it is. So um, I'll be curious to see how the Chiefs want to test that. And that's what I'm saying. Stopping that read option takes so much out of so much wind out of their sail that they're going to have to pivot and they may have to lean on Jalen hurts a little bit more. And he's a little bit more erratic as a passer now. And he hasn't been able to push the football down the field the same way that he could when he's tried in the game since that injury. And uh, I'm just saying, cause I watched sadly, I've watched most of the Eagles season now <laughs> and I've seen Jalen hurts with a healthy shoulder versus a hurt shoulder. And they're, they're different people and like that and his hurt shoulder is just not, I I don't think it's going to get, it's just going to get better with time. I think that that's something that going to be dealt with in the off season, unfortunately. So we'll see how that shakes out, but yeah. So uh, go ahead. Well, no. So I was going to ask, I mean, you've got, they, this is a team. I don't know that their weapons are as good. Certainly don't get as much hype as the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. But 
AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard, um, you know, tight end there. That's, that's a handful. Yeah. Uh, especially when you've got to contend with the run. Um, we've seen, you know, the chiefs are, are comfortable leaving their rookie secondary players like to, to fend for themselves here. Like, like we, I mean, they, you know, Jalen Watson and, and, and Brian cook, you know, there, there were times they were like, you've got Jamar chase, have fun kids. Mm-hmm. You know, Trent McDuffie has been left on an Island. Joshua Williams has had to soak up some big minutes or big, you know, big reps when, especially when Sneed went down with the concussion, um, you know, in that AFC championship game, um, how do you see them deploying the guys? I mean, obviously McDuffie is going to take one guy on the outside, do you think they'll try to put Snead out or do you think they'll try to like, re, you know, like rotate Snead and, and, and Justin Reed through at the slot to try to handle Goddard um, and then leave Watson and Williams and, and, you know, maybe, maybe Thornhill to that side, you know, uh, uh, on Devonte Smith, just what do you see them trying to, trying to do to combat those three guys? Cause, cause obviously they're going to have to devote a lot to the run, so those guys are going to, you know, they're going to have to man up and, and, and play some, you know, or man up or match up without a whole lot of help, I think. Well, and I think another part of it is they're going to have to have the corners give some looks that they may be blitzing on some of those plays to give that illusion to make it make the Eagles kind of think a little bit before they, you know, and maybe they check to some hot routes and maybe somebody jumps those routes and is ready to pick it and create some turnovers. I think the big key for the Chiefs is trying to, is trying to create some turnovers off, off some of the looks they're going to give that may look like pressure and, and hurts once you get the ball out quick and a little erratic, and then they can pick it and take off with it and get Mahomes and the Chiefs offense more possessions. So, like, I, I think that there's, I think that's a big aspect to it that's going to may or may not be talked about. I don't know. I haven't really kept up on national media the past couple of days um, to check what they're saying, but that that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle. And, they're going to need probably somebody like Justin Reed or maybe LeJerry Sneed at times, or maybe Trent McDuffie, whoever to kind of help in the open field to kind of contain on some of those read option aspects as well. So, you know, and, and, and some of those screen passes that they try to sneak out with uh, Dallas Goddard or some of those wide receiver screens, they try to sneak out as well, like the Bengals do that, you know, that the Eagles try to run when they see certain looks. So I think the chiefs are going to manipulate looks and stuff that they want to get them. And it wouldn't surprise me a couple times if either it's Brian Cook or Juan Thornhill or whoever is, is showing single high to try to get a matchup to try to force something a certain way. And then they rotate right after the snap and, oh, hey, it's too deep now. And uh, you chucked it up to A.J. Brown and uh, somebody's sprinting their rear off to go make a make a pick or make a deflection. There's Juan Thornhill. <laughs> so, like, it just that stuff would not stun me one bit. And I, it wouldn't. I'm not going to be surprised if I see more zone just because they need to kind of be ready for run and some of those slant routes and and making sure that they don't give up the middle of the field. Right. That's why I kind of said, instead of man up, like match up maybe, um, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but here's another thing that, that I've I've just kind of been curious about. Um, Is there any value to the fact that Creed Humphrey was once the center for Jalen hurts at Oklahoma. I mean, cause you know, the center is kind of, you know, the heart and soul of that line. He's going to know what Jalen hurts likes. He's going to know what Jalen hurts doesn't like what he, what makes him uncomfortable, you know? I mean, 
do you think Spagnolo and those guys had a conversation with Creed at some point for any intel and any insight, or do you think everything they they need to know they can just get from film? I think if they didn't have a heart to heart with Creed about what Jalen likes protection wise, what if there's certain tendencies he has based on read option, or if it's snapped this way or that way, what's he like or what's he get frustrated about? When he sees this thing, what does he normally like to do? Yeah, no, they after the AFC championship game, if they didn't have those conversations and ask those questions, then yeah, that, that, that's that's a very big missed opportunity to talk to one of the guys that uh, would have helped Jalen Hurts during their time together. Yeah, I just feel like the, the quarterback center relationship is a pretty special one. And for Jalen Hurts to do what he did after transferring to Oklahoma, I feel like he had to have a pretty good relationship with Creed to make that all work. So. And I feel like Todd Palmer just uncovered a hidden gem that's probably not being talked about by a lot of people because they'd have to associate all that together, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but Todd <laughs> did. <laughs> all right, hey, let's look to the other side. Look, I, Patrick Mahomes, uh, I he's going to do Patrick Mahomes things he does every week, right? Yeah. Um, but when you look at, at this uh, defensive line and, and particularly the depth of it, man, with, um, you know, Javon Hargrave and, and Fletcher Cox in the middle and, and Brandon Graham and Josh sweat and Robert Quinn. And uh, I mean, they've got a lot of depth, you know, I mean, you know, they signed in Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph as, as things went along. Yeah. There's a lot of talent, a lot of depth in there. Um, is that, is that the, you mentioned that being one of your three focal points, like just dissect that matchup for me and, and maybe um, what worries you or, or what you think the chiefs need to do to, to have success against that front. Yeah. So the number one worry is uh Reddick. Reddick's got a lightning speed around that corner and he's going to give, he's going to give Andrew Wiley fits. Wiley will do the best he can, but Reddick can get back there in three to four seconds without much of a problem. And like, it doesn't matter how well you're blocking it. <laughs> it's just that fast. He's got that level of acceleration. And so if they, they didn't, I didn't see a lot of, a lot of like TE stunts or, you know, things of that nature with him. When I was watching, they normally try to kind of keep him more, just let him get up field and not let him get caught in the wash type of thing and take advantage of his acceleration around the end. Um, Josh Sweat and uh, Hargrave, they actually run a lot more of the TE stunts, a lot of the twists, that type mm-hmm. of stuff, just because Hargrave's got insane speed for a defensive tackle that he shouldn't be able to have. Like, it's up there with Chris Jones level, how quickly he can get around and he can accelerate downhill and cause problems and sweats good against the, around the edge as well. And with that matchup with Orlando Brown, Orlando cannot get his shoulders turned inside or it's going to be a problem. If they're turned towards the center, things aren't good because somebody's somebody's coming around that corner and going to cause Pat some problems. So like, that's another aspect of it. And then, yeah, it's, it's just like, those three are kind of what make that defense go. I know there's other names, like you said, with Brandon Graham and, and you know, and Sue and, and Fletcher, you know, Cox. Fletcher Cox and those guys. But it's, it's, it revolves around the speed of those three guys and people rotating in to help give them breaks to maintain that speed. But those are the three, and they're going to have to chip like they did against the Bengals, Orlando. I'm curious to see how much help they're going to give him, if they give him as much as they did with the Bengals, or if they're just going to try to get the ball out quick a ton, or you know how they're going to help Wiley as well, because there's there's going to be problems off the edge, and Mahomes is going to need as close to a healthy ankle as possible to evade some of that, because the other part of it is, 
the bank, uh, the Eagles get really undisciplined when, when, you know, when it's fire drill time and, you know, it's out of structure and the play, the play falls apart. Like, dude, they, they lose their zone so quickly, man. And like, there was, there was one play against the Chicago bears, Byron Pringles, just waving, <laughs> just waving near the pylon <laughs> to uh fields. And he threw a touchdown to him wide open because Slay lost him in coverage. And so did the safety. And he's just wide open. Nobody within a 15 yard radius because fields took off and was threatening to run. And then they all started coming up. I, I will say this about the Eagles. Their back seven is really undisciplined. And like, that's, that's the, that's the saving grace with them. And I will say one more thing about it. Um, for people that don't know, Vic Fangio is one of the, like, a, he's like a senior defensive assistant consultant type. It's, it's Vic Fangio's defense there. He may not yeah. be the quote unquote defensive coordinator, but I can tell you whenever, whenever Jonathan Gannon kind of moves on, or I mean, whenever Fangio moves on to the Dolphins and Jonathan Gannon is left on his own again, you may see things go back to what they were before the year before, because Fangio is not kind of supervising stuff in that way. And you could kind of see it. So I think there's going to be some stuff the chiefs are going to run that they ran against the Broncos in the previous years while Fangio was there. And I think they're going to take advantage of that, especially with the, with this thing called the trips formation. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask is, you know, the Eagles, they, you know, you talked about Reddick and how important he is to, to yeah. their pass rush and what they do. they like to rush five. Um, historically though, Patrick Mahomes, um, does pretty well if you're going to send an extra guy at him. So do the Eagles have to adjust at all with, with what they want to do, um, and the way they want to play going up against Mahomes? because the teams have, like, I mean, you think about the teams that have had success, the ones where they've beat up Kelsey at the line and, you know, rushed, you know, rushed three and dropped eight into coverage are the teams that historically have given Patrick Mahomes fits. And he worked hard this off season and was better against those kind of coverages this year and stuff like that. But historically blitzing Patrick Mahomes doesn't work well for the opposing defense. Well, with Vic Fangio, it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of zone blitzes and keeping zones and things and things of that nature. I think, I think if Fangio has more of a say in it, um, I think they will be a little bit more cautious and kind of see how he does, how his ankle does, and then go from there. But I mean, they may surprise us all, and like, hey, we're bringing a good luck to you. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I mean, I think, um, I, I kind of hope they do, because uh, <laughs> um, I think Battle, I think Battle have a big day if they want to try to do something like that. Um, right, did we cover all your three focal points? I hope so. I don't, I don't really know anymore, man. <laughs> Just gonna be honest. <laughs> um, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, uh. You know, I mean, look, you know, you mentioned the, the back seven, you know, guys like Darius Slay, um, CJ Gardner, Johnson, James Bradbury, you know, who they got from the giants and uh, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's some name guys there, but I mean, I think that obviously McCole Hardman jr. Is going to be out. I think if Kadarius Tony um, can, can bring that speed element, you know, like, like we've talked about down the stretch of the season, stuff like that. If Canarius Tony can, and I think he's going to give it a go um, one way or the other. I mean, he said as much um, and you know, the Jerry Sneed said he's out of the concussion protocol, stuff like that. Um, I, as long as Tony can go, I think they're okay, but I think they've got to have Juju out there. Juju Smith Schuster out there too. Like they've got to be back to relatively full strength. I think it's going to be a lot to ask if you've got, you know, Justin Watson, Marcus Kemp, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 
um, trying to win a Super Bowl for you? Yeah, I mean that would be that would not be an easy task. Um, it's not a it's not bashing them in any way. It's just that would with that Eagles front, like that would they would have to all step up really big. And hey, Sky Moore, you got I guess throw Sky Moore in there, right? But no, I think everybody that can play is going to. Um, yeah. The Clyde edwards helaire addition to the 53 with McCole Hardman being put on IR, I kind of wonder if there's certain ways they want to use Clyde um, in the passing offense, maybe in the flats, maybe screens, maybe he motions out as a fifth receiver, something of that nature. I, I'm kind of curious if, they, if they'll keep him active on that day. Will they keep all four tight ends active? I'm intrigued to see by that. Because the other thing that we haven't even talked about, Eagles aren't that great against the run. Like they're not, they're not the barn burners against the run that, you know, that you would think that they would be. So, I mean, there's, there's some opportunities, especially on the edges to really move them and be able to have Pacheco run some people over and be able to control the tempo of that game. Well, and you think back to Super Bowl 54 when, when the chiefs won and everybody remembers jet chip wasp, you know, and everybody uh, remembers Patrick Mahomes, you know, his touchdown run and the scream he let out. But there, there was a strong case uh, in that game that, um, you know, that, that Mahomes was not, in fact, the MVP of that game, um, you know. And, and uh, I, I think that Pacheco or McKinnon could be in line for a big game, um, you know, in, in this one, just because of, like, what you said. I, I think they can run. I don't think Andy's going to, like, surprise us with a, a run-heavy game even though, you know, we've talked about how the chiefs might benefit from that on occasion. I don't think it's happening. Um, you know, but, um, but, uh, I, I think that, uh, Pacheco, Pacheco could, you know, Pacheco could be in for a big game. He could be in for a really big game. Yeah. That Damian Williams type level impact, I think. Certainly possible. I'm not going to discount anything that could happen. <laughs> uh, I, I know that sounds like, Oh, come on. You got to commit something. I'm just telling you, man, anything's possible. Like, it, it, there's so many different directions things can go. And, and without me being involved in being able to witness the game planning going on and being able to watch everything of practice. Uh, like Andy, I, I hasn't let, Andy hasn't done a Zoom with you this week? Uh, no, that has that is, that is escaped his calendar, uh, the schedule on his calendar. That uh, he, must have, he must have lost the invite. It happens, dude. It'll be all right, man. I'm not too worried. But I will say when final in my final thought here, um, the Eagles defense is really aggressive. They want to beat you to the corner. They want to get there and they want to beat you first. So there's a lot of stuff you can do misdirection wise against them. There's a lot of stuff you can do out of the trips formation to cause them problems and make them blow coverages. And so bootlegs are, are good against them. Reverses are potentially there. There's a lot. If you hit the delayed screen passes, right, there's opportunities there. So, I mean, there's, there's stuff that the chiefs can do to slow down the rush and be able to be effective and be able to put up, you know, 30 points without a problem. So I want people to know that there's, it can happen. It's just a lot of, a lot of circumstances and factors going together and a lot of possessions for the chiefs offense to really kind of hit their stride. Yeah. I, and look, if I'm a, if I'm a chiefs fan, I, I love hearing that because Andy Reid against an aggressive defense with, with his ability to scheme things up and scheme the matchups up that he wants and, and, you know, get the def manipulate the defense. Like you said, whether it's with the, the formations, 
uh, you know, running trips or whether it's, you know, some of the motions he does and the jet sweeps and different things that they run off of it. Uh, and just the, the creativity and the variety that, that he brings together. You talk about, you know, the Eagles, um, you know, option game and, and the, the creativity there. Um, I like Andy Reid's chances against an aggressive defense. I'm just saying all of it. I, I, mean, I would rather, I, I, I would rather face an aggressive defense than a highly disciplined defense. Let me put it that way. Yeah. I think, I think if you're comparing the 49ers with how disciplined they were when the chiefs went against them in the previous super bowl versus the aggressive versus the discipline of the Eagles, it's, it's very different defenses. Yeah. And Patrick Holmes is going to be the best quarterback. The Eagles have gone up against all year, regular season or postseason. Well, and Arian Foster was kind enough to already leak the script. So it sounds like the Eagles are going to win 37-34, but I mean, that'll be an entertaining game. I have no idea what you're talking about, and I don't want to explore it at this time of the evening. So <laughs> I, I'll just trust you on that one. It's like that It's like that little meme that goes around, I'm not going to read all that. I'm sorry <laughs> for whatever happened. Or, you know, congratulations. Well, just know that a man who could win a fight with a wolf – um, has already told us what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. So, was that on pay per view or how'd that go about <laughs> fighting a wolf? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Arian Foster is good for a headliner too. <laughs> well, Todd, I feel like this is uh this is my exit. That's your, oh, you're taking the exit ramp. Okay. Well, um, all right. Um, oh, hey, look. I guess I guess maybe we'll have a little bit of a maybe we'll have a little bit of a Waffle House on this exit. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good luck. Don't get caught crying in the bathroom. Um, maybe you'll see Trevor Lawrence there. Um and uh, you know, and and hey, uh fourth and one fans, be on the lookout for maybe a bonus podcast later in the week um with some cool content that Nick's come up. Um and until then, take care, kids.